As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. Ooh, sis, how are you doing? I hope you are well. In full transparency, y'all, I am recording this pre-election results. <laughs> so today is a good day for me. I don't know how I'll feel in real time when this episode airs because it'll be post-election results. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I hope that we'll be doing okay. And honestly, regardless of what the results of the election reveal, we have to make sure that we make it our priority to take care of ourselves and our community as best as we can. We have to accept things for whatever they are, whether or not they go, how we think they should have gone, we just have to accept them. So speaking of acceptance, that is the topic of today's episode, acceptance. Acceptance is something that honestly I have really struggled with because as indecisive I am by nature, once I finally make a decision as to how I envision things to go and what I want to accomplish and how things in my mind should go, if they don't go that way, I have a hard time letting go and I have a hard time being flexible with outcomes. And that just makes my life harder. And that's something that I am struggling. I shouldn't say I'm struggling. That is something that I am actively working on to accept things as they come and to accept myself as I am. So today's episode will be useful to a lot of us because as I speak to my friends and to my family, we all deal with the same stuff. Like we have a hard time letting go and just letting it be. Is it important to plan? Absolutely. Yes, you have to have a plan. You have to have a direction. You have to have intention in what you do. But we don't know everything. We don't see the entire picture. So if things don't go according to our plan, we have to trust that it's going to be okay. And if we don't live up to our own expectations of what we feel that we should be or the expectations of what we were told we should be, it is okay. You are enough. We are enough. 
I recently came across a quote that says, self-acceptance is my refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. And I just found that to be so poignant. With that said, acceptance is a person's assent to the reality of a situation, recognizing a process or condition, often a negative or uncomfortable situation without attempting to change or protest it. So today we speak with the inspiring and insightful Whitney White. She walks us through how being diagnosed with a rare chronic illness in her young adulthood really shaped her. Of all the things that she touched on, what really stood out to me the most was how acceptance of her new reality allowed her to fully embrace herself and solidify her decision to thrive. So many times we're living in a survival mode because we haven't accepted our situations be it temporary like loss of a job or lack of direction or clarity, disappointments, relationship challenges, etc., or something more long-lasting like a chronic illness. I learned that the first step in creating a meaningful life is accepting your current circumstance. And that is never easy and it's straight up just uncomfortable about being honest with yourself. But this allows you to formulate a plan to really live your very best life. As I was scrolling through Whitney's website, one thing that stood out to me is where she says, I'm here to offer my expertise in pushing past barriers, preparing yourself for success, building confidence, fearless empowerment, and unrelenting strength. She goes on to say that despite what the doctors and everyone thought, I was able to push through and live life fearlessly, though modified. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Whitney. Thank you so much again for joining. I'm so happy you're here. Be well, sis. So I would like to talk about living with chronic illness, which is a major part of your platform, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd like to... mm -hmm. Go ahead. So I was going to ask if you can share your journey through diagnosis and up until now. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. I was at a point in about 2013. I've always been like a plus size girl, but I was like, okay, let me get this together. Let me try to lose a little weight. I had been going to the gym on and off. And I, at that point, I think I had, you know, been eating healthy, working out pretty regularly, had a support group with my friends and I had lost like a good amount of weight, but I had simultaneously started to notice I lived in an apartment that was like you had to walk downstairs and then walk upstairs that I was getting very winded when I was doing that and I was like something isn't right here because I'm working out I'm active and on top of that even if I were like out of shape I've been doing this walk for two years so I shouldn't be out of breath with it so I decided to go to the doctor I was having some other like alarming symptoms so I went to like urgent care and from there, they were like, oh, maybe you were just like, you're just coughing hard. There's nothing going on. There's nothing on your scans. And I got the runaround for a while until I went there one time and there was a black nurse. And she told me, she was like, I, I don't see anything, but with your symptoms, I think you should go see a pulmonologist. And from there, I went to see a pulmonologist. He also tried to push me off a little bit and I pushed back on him because he wanted to put everything on my weight. And I was like, okay, I know you're not correct here because I've just lost 70 pounds. So certain things get better and not worse. So he did end up ordering more tests, but he never followed up. 
And I wasn't really great at advocating for myself fully at that point. Obviously, I asked, had knew enough to ask them for the test and push back there, but not really in the terms of following up. And I ended up one weekend not feeling well, and I had this horrific pain and ended up in the hospital. And it turned out my gallbladder was inflamed. So I needed to like get my gallbladder out. I was admitted to the hospital and that went fine, like after a couple of days. But I woke up a few hours after the surgery and completely crashed. I remember a lot of it. <laughs> and in that I was like cold and hot at the same time. My blood, my oxygenation levels dropped to like between 20 and 40, which is like wow. you're dead. Um, and so they couldn't get it back up with oxygen. They couldn't get it back up with the CPAP. So their only choice was to intubate me at that point, but I was up and alert. (laughs) And so I just was not understanding like what was going on because I'm like, I'm fine. And they were like, but you're really not. And so we're going to have to do this. So I ended up being intubated for what was eight days when I ended up waking up funny. The only time. The only reason I really knew how much time had passed is that I knew the last thing I remember before was Scandal was supposed to come on the next day. (laughs) When I woke up, Scandal was coming on, but it wasn't the first episode. So I knew that it had been like over a week. And when I woke up, they were like, my body was, they just really wanted to give me enough time to recover. They had no clue what was going on. My lungs had like, gone crazy in the middle of me being intubated. Like I had bleeding, like all kinds of stuff was going on. They just could not figure it out because other than me being overweight and having high blood pressure, they were like, nothing is wrong with you. So they had no clue where it was coming from. And people's oxygen, when that goes that low, it usually doesn't recoup because when by the time I woke up, it was around the seventies or eighties. So they were like, maybe it'll go all the way back up to where it should be but it really didn't. And they noticed that it was really with when I was moving. So they recommended I go to specialists. I went through months and months of testing, but luckily I had a very attentive team at my hospital, which is rare. But the thing is, my case was so rare because there was no nothing wrong with me. There was no other indications of anything that it caught the eye of some top medical teams at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So that was one way I really looked out in that it was that thing that was very interesting because it was what they don't typically see, that it was like a mystery for them. If you're going through your day-to-day life and you're used to stuff like that, one exciting thing is it's going to get your attention. So I was that exciting thing. (laughs) And so (laughs) after a while, they really still could not figure it out. They had narrowed it down and included what it ended up being, but they were like, you absolutely don't want it to be that because we know nothing about it. And it'll probably be better if it were cancer, because at least we know how to treat that. That's how Mm -hmm. like crazy that my diagnosis ended up being. And after a while, I had a few more symptoms, ended up back in the hospital again for another couple of weeks. I was intubated for one day, which probably would have been longer, but I coughed up the intubation, which is typically impossible. But the Lord did not want me (laughs) on that ventilator. So I coughed it up, stayed in the hospital for a good while. And my pulmon- my new pulmonologist ended up speaking to a friend of his in St. Louis. 
and was telling him about the case. And he was like, I know exactly what that is. And he said it's fibrosing mediastinitis. And oh. it's a pretty rare condition that a lot of people who grow up in the Mississippi and Ohio River Valleys get. Not a lot, but because it's only a few hundred of us who end up having this diagnosis. And I'm from the Delta in Arkansas, right off the Mississippi River. It made sense. It starts with the virus, oddly enough, in the times that we're in now, which is one of the reasons why I like to warn people about it. It starts with the virus. You get over it. And your immune system still fights it for years and years. And essentially, it builds a mass in my chest, a small mass, not huge, that kind of blocks some of the blood flow from my lungs, some of the oxygenated blood flow, which then makes my oxygenation level in the rest of my body a little lower, which is why I need the oxygen. So it's a very crazy story. (laughs) I'm here. Oh, thank God. How long did you have the symptoms for? I was having the symptoms for, it may have been close to a year, but I had been, well, if I really backtrack, I probably had been having them for about seven years and didn't realize it. But I was thinking when every time I went to the doctor or places, they would say, oh, you probably have asthma or you have really bad allergies. And at that point, I was noticing things, but I wrote it off as allergies and asthma. So the year before is when I really got the big symptoms, which was homoptosis. I don't want to be too explicit, but if you want to look that up to see what it is, or I don't know if, if, I'm, if you're it's, okay with me saying It's okay. Coughing up blood, right? <laughs> yes. Coughing up blood. I had been coughing up blood for a while, which seems, <laughs> I know people would be like, what girl, you should have been at the ER right away. I'd be like, girl, hospital's scary sometimes. Like I I had never been hospitalized and I was just like, this has to be something. And like every time I would go to urgent care, they would say you were probably just coughing really hard, which I was, and probably just broke a a blood vessel because it wasn't like persistent. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that turned out to be the the red flag symptom that the doctor in um, St. Louis was like, oh, that's that too? That I know what it is. So Mm -hmm. it was like a trigger But the other thing is that when I went to urgent care, a lot of times they would give me steroids, which is the anecdotal like treatment that you go on for this. So I was self-treating unknowingly throughout the whole time. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. Wow. So it's been how long since you've been officially diagnosed? Six years. Six years. Okay. So how was it just settling into your diagnosis and just all of the changes that happens to you physically and even mentally and emotionally? It was rough. (laughs) Just looking back, I was so confused. Like, how is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I didn't understand it, especially before I got the official diagnosis and I had to be on oxygen. Like, I was so pissed off. I was just like, why do I have to carry this around? There were levels of shame. There was levels of guilt, all wrapped up in anger. It was just like not a good time for me. Like mm-hmm. just to be able to be like, when is this going to be over? I hate doing this. I, I probably wasn't wearing my oxygen at times. I should have been um, wearing it just because I didn't understand at that point. And it was such a drastic change. Like 
one weekend I'm free and clear and the next I have to like worry about filling up an oxygen tank. It's, I'm in my 20s. <laughs> yeah. What is really going on? So I just really ended up being really depressed and I just was not happy because so much stuff was changing. And the first months before I got my diagnosis, it was okay because at that point, it seemed like it was going to be temporary. Like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing probably because I was waiting on it to end. But at the point where I really got my diagnosis, that's when I was able to shift into the mindset of, oh, this is forever. And then I think that's when the real depression kind of set in because it was just like, what is my life going to be like with this? And how do I do anything now? And my life is ruined. And like, why am I why does this happen to me? And why am I even still here? Thoughts that I was going through. So it was like a rough time. And that's so real. When we see people who are going through major medical um, situations, it's not just the physical, like the body itself takes, takes a beating, but also the mental emotional piece is we often ignore it, but that is so real. I think that's not a bigger part, but it's equally as important as to mm-hmm. the healing process and or just the continuing to live, like the living process. It's Absolutely. that's so real. Your all your feelings, I would I never considered it, but it makes so much sense. Just thinking about for me, like when I'm going through something, I try to put an end date on it. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know what, I have I could tough this out for another month, maybe two months, and then that's the finish line. But mm-hmm. that is tough knowing that no, this is it from here on out, especially in yeah. your twenties. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of, and that's, and like you said, that's how a lot of people deal with any kind of hardship. You're like, it's going to be over at some point, or when is it going to end? And then you, once it's permanent, it's just okay. Mm -hmm. How do I extend this ability to deal with it? Like, you either give up or you have, you start fighting. And a lot of people give up for a long time. And I gave up for a good amount of time. So being able to like, switch from giving up to like actually trying is mental gymnastics as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what sparked the change for you? Cause I see you now and you're super inspirational and you're motivating and like confident and just living your best life. So what sparked the change for you? Thank you. I appreciate that. The first spark for me, which was really the biggest spark, although it lit a fire under me, but I didn't move with it for a a little while. So after I got diagnosed, a friend of mine who actually went to the boarding school with me, and we both ended up in DC, she's about four years older than me. And she's also a Delta like me. So we like really bonded. She ended up with a very severe chronic illness diagnosis as well. And so we began to talk about it more, about dealing with it, about coping, and we had gotten a lot closer. And she just was vibrant. She was going on trips. She decided to go back to school, like everything. And then like, I was just like, so inspired by what she was doing. And she went on a trip and got into a car accident and passed away. Oh my! And it just, it like broke me so bad to have a friend pass away. But it was also like, if I look at NECA's life and to see what she was going through with her illness that completely changed her body and her mind and all this stuff. But she was continuing to do the things that she loved. 
continuing to live her life to the fullest so that you couldn't even, you could be sad, but you could not pity her when she passed because she was doing something that she really loved. So it was like, my question to myself is if I continue to live, if I'm here, what do I want people to say when I pass, whenever that is? If I don't know if this illness is going to give me 10 years, 20 years, or the rest of my life fully. But when I go, people will say that after that diagnosis, she was just never really herself again. Or would they say she lived her life fully? And I wanted it to be the latter. I didn't really know how I was going to get there at that point. But that was like the spark. My God, her story is just incredible. So today's song of the day is another oldie but goodie. It is Strength, Courage, and Wisdom by the amazing India Ari. Oh, and just another reminder to leave us a rating and a review on whatever streaming platform that you listen to. Now let's get back to the episode. If they've just been dealing with some circumstances that are completely out of their control and they're having a hard time like moving forward or accepting what's happening, what tip would you provide as some type of guidance or framework? Yeah, I would say the main tip would be around acceptance. A lot of us like to ignore the things like I did, like I had a whole oxygen tank and it's something's going on. You can't ignore this. You have to do something. Mm -hmm. And my words to people is just like accepting doesn't mean that you like it. Mm. Accepting doesn't mean that you're okay with it or that it was okay or that you're happy about it. It just means that you see it's here because whether you accept it or not, it's not going anywhere. But when you ignore that something is in front of you, all you will do is run into it. But when you acknowledge it, then you can figure out ways to go through it. Like going to doctor's appointments, taking me to doctor's appointments, picking me up. My, my family was in Arkansas, like on the other side of the country. So it was difficult mm. for them to get there. They were in co- My sisters were in college. So it was rough. My friends were just there. And to be honest... And the feelings that you feel like I was mad at my friends, like just the fact that they could go on with their lives uninterrupted. Like I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have anybody who I could always call on. They were there, but it's, I don't have a person. If I need something, what am I supposed to do? And if they were doing something and couldn't do something for me, it was like, but like, what's going on? So like my emotions were here and there. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'd be annoyed if somebody asked me if I was okay. Sometimes I'd be like, why they, Why aren't they asking me if I'm okay? Because it's like a big transition and it's, you don't even know what you need and necessarily even how to vocalize that to people. So sometimes they just get back into their normal routine because you're sitting here with something new. It's new to them too. Like they know Whitney who's been here for however many years as she was like, they don't know the new Whitney either. They have to go through a period of transition to get to know you and get to know what you need. Otherwise all they'll know is the routine. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really like a, a balance. So I say for the people who have somebody in their life, just be patient. Just ask them what they need that day. It might be different the next day, but also just being present with them is very important as well. And I want to touch on your diagnosis journey. So you mentioned that mm-hmm. you had gone to the urgent care a couple of times and they just pretty much brushed it off until you yeah. had the black nurse who wanted to look into a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, how has your experience been navigating the medical system? Yeah, I, I very much feel like I had to learn to advocate for myself in a different way because people just sometimes ignore your very needs. And I also lucked up with getting a great team. But I will also say that I think people say it's cliche, but things happen in your life for a reason. And at my high school, I'm just a little girl from Arkansas, a fish out of water, essentially, going from the country (laughs) to this boarding school with these rich kids, these affluent people. And essentially, our headmaster, like the president, he he pulled me aside one day and was like, you're extremely smart, but you're a Black woman, and people are going to try to silence you because of that. And don't let them. Was and he was like, man? "You're, yeah, white man." He said, "You're wow. just as imp- you're just as important as I am, as the headmaster." Like he, I don't know why he took to me. The other one of the guy who had admitted me, the head of admissions at the time, as well. He made sure I was taken care of. He made sure I was paid to go to college tours. They were like, "You are important." So they put that in my mindset to fear nobody and speak mm-hmm. your peace. Don't let anybody silence you. And once you got that in my mind, it was a wrap. I had no fear mm-hmm. of speaking to in, to anybody, with anybody, you know, about anything. That lesson then translated into when I was hospitalized and the doctors would come ask me questions. And the way I respond back, the follow-up questions had them asking me if I was, if I had a medical degree. I wasn't like <laughs> saying anything special, but they were just like, your concept of this is very strong. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just baffled them. So I know that also that, because I noticed that has been a thing with black people having to be like, I went to this school. Like I have, this is my mm-hmm. job position to, to feel like you have to get a level um, mm-hmm. of understanding from people. So I know that likely played into setting the tone with them. But I do also think that they happen to be, very good practitioners. And my case was weird, but I even recently had to deal, going back to the thing that happened with the first pulmonologist, with ear, nose, and throat doctor saying that the issue that I was having recently could be due to weight. And he just walked in and instantly was like, wait, but I was like, you're not going to examine me though. (laughs) I know I can, I know the hearing test came back fine. So you just go to wait. That's cool. I I know I can hear. I just hear extra. (laughs) I need you to work on that. And so when he said that, I was like, that's fine. And I'm gonna have to push back on that. So I'm gonna need you to go and figure out what else it could be because Mm -hmm. it's not that because I've also been losing weight now. So Mm -hmm. it's not gotten better. So you can't say that it could be that being overweight doesn't help the situation, but I'm sure it's not the cause. From there, mm-hmm. he just he went ahead and did. He checked my nostrils, my throat. Like, every, girl, he went into the full thing and gave me the cards of the next people to talk to. Gave me recommendations for over the counter medicine, everything. But that appointment would have been done. 
if I had I mean, not said, said anything. anything. But what's upsetting is that should have been done anyway. He should have, from the gate, he should have done your examination and then had some differentials and then since referred you out if he couldn't take care of it. That's wild. As right. People use weight as, not people, the medical industry uses yes. weight as a crutch. That's the easy way out. Oh, it's your weight and then send you on your way. No, do the work. Do some investigations, think about it, get with your colleagues, talk about it. That's something that I feel very strongly about because I hear it too often. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to go yeah. off on a, a tangent. Oh, no, you, oh, you're, you're good because I'm just like, I was like, I really had to gather myself because when he walked in and that was the first thing he said, I could have just smooth went off. But like, it's mm-hmm. to the point where I was like, oh, no, you're not about to do that. And I'm also right. going to follow up with my primary and tell her the experience that I had with you. So that she's aware in case she's referring. Look, Let's not do that. Too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just don't walk into the room because my hearing test seemed fine. And oh, it's just because you're overweight. Explain it. Make it make sense. And right. then like when he just started asking different questions and he realized where I went to school and all these other things, his whole tone changed. And mm-hmm. I even heard some other like tone of oh what do you do what do you want to do he asked me what do you want to be when you grow up and so I just had to hit him with the the big answer and he was like oh I was like yes (laughs) and he was like why I said why not and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you're not about to throw me off let's not do that he already (laughs) knew (laughs) I think he got the idea pretty quickly this one will be some trouble so let's figure this out but right his whole demeanor changed and he was like sitting in the chair, like relaxed, not even paying attention to like fully doing everything, following up. Yeah, here are the cards. And like I said before, and like completely going through it. And then when I looked at my notes after, like he went through everything, he put the weight thing at the end, but he like, he went into mm-hmm. a whole lot more detail. And I'm like, this would have been so terrible had I not pushed back mm-hmm. on him. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to do so much more work as a patient. You just don't walk in to a medical office and just passively let them do what they do, what they should do, because they unfortunately often more often than not, they don't do what they should do. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's only because of how we look us being black women or if it's just the way the medical system is these days. And I'm coming from somebody who's been on the inside and I've just mm-hmm. been so discouraged by it yeah yeah it's it's a lot of bias that people have themselves and then like also within what they've learned so Mm -hmm. if you have a bias and then it's starting to be confirmed by the things you learn you just get deep and dug down into it and so they don't really look into the other possibilities that's like yes why that's one of my other questions okay yeah it could be but what else could it be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we don't know Mm -hmm. that so if it comes right. back and it's not that, what else? What's, and how what's do you change be? that? What is the mm-hmm. plan? Like, let's not make multiple appointments for this. Let's get it done. Like even today, you we all say how you doing as like just a reflexive like question. Mm-hmm. For the most part, we're not really asking, no, really, how are you doing? I think that's changed a little bit since COVID because we're all just going through it to some extent. But yeah, we'll do that enough. No, that was the first thing I changed when I was coping with my illness. Like when I realized that I was going to change my life and not be a victim to it, I stopped answering that question incorrectly. Mm. So it was probably over a year that somebody would ask me how I I was doing and I refused to say fine. 
Like I answered that question honestly every time. And whether that person wanted to follow up and ask more questions or actually care, or if it was just me like not lying about how I feel Mm -hmm. right now, it was important to me to like really be honest with where I was to myself even. You said the the key words there to yourself even. One thing that I've Mm -hmm. been struggling with myself is I realized that I haven't been honest with myself. Like I haven't accepted things that I don't like in my life. So if you can't if you don't accept it, you're not gonna be honest about how you really feel. And Mm -hmm. I've just had that realization, like, girl, keep it funky with you. Like if I'm not honest with me, how am I gonna really be honest with God to ask God, listen, help me to fix this. Give me the wisdom. Give me the the knowledge to make this work, like to fix it. Absolutely. Because the thing is, he can give you the knowledge of where you're asking from. But how the analogy I always like to make is that if you really look at where you are and you're at a step zero, but you want to pretend that you're at a four and build up to 10, it's always going to fall back down to zero because you don't have Mm -hmm. one, two, three there to, to support you. So you can get what you need and start climbing, but it's not, the weight of it is going to crash because you have not built what's on the foundation. So you yeah. really have to analyze where you're really from so that you can properly build up to where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. People, a lot of times, they respond because that's the easy way. Mm. Because the thing that's hardest to do is to be vulnerable in that mo- moment. People view that as weakness when it really is a strength. Mm-hmm. Because it frees you and somebody else. So my question is, so I've been looking at your website. I see that you work with clients. Yes. So what kind of work do you offer to people? Yes. So I, right now I have a group coaching program that's going to be launching soon, but I do the work of getting you through those phases of acceptance and learning how to be an advocate for yourself as well as determining what you really want out of life. Because a lot of times, one, as people with chronic illnesses and women in general, we're socialized to put ourselves last. Or because our illness is so great, we have to accept whatever it is that comes to us because how could we do anything more? Because that's how I felt. And I, so I teach people how to really get down into what is it that you truly do want and what do you want? to make out of your life and what would make you happy. And I help them Mm -hmm. outline that and come up with practical ways to start going after that and to how to twerk it and do whatever you need to do so that it is what you need at all times. Like what I needed when I first moved to New Orleans is not what I need now. And I've used that kind of same framework to adjust my life and make those kind of on the spot changes so that I feel like I'm always living flawlessly. Like I'm not going to be caught up in Mm. who I was a year ago because that's not me now because I can always make that decision to better myself. So I like to teach women how to do that. And that is what my group coaching program is. And I also do some one-on-one coaching, but right now I'm focused on the group as well as some speaking. Mm -hmm. Oh, beautiful. You said something right there that really um, resonates with me, which was uh, pretty much being flexible mm-hmm. with life. Who you were a year ago is not the same as who you are now. And that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. I feel like we may have had certain goals that we had when we were in our 20s. Mm-hmm. And now that we're in our 30s, where we haven't reached those goals, but do we even want to reach those goals anymore? Exactly. So we struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And I think it boils 
back down to the acceptance piece yep. too. Yep. You really have to say like, why are you working towards this just to say you did it? But what is that really going to do for you? So I want to be at the point where I, I call a lot of my stuff like flawless because I'm like, I'll, every decision I want to make, it needs to be perfect because it's perfect for Whitney in that moment. If five minutes later, I'm like, you know what? Let me do this over here. That's going to be a perfect decision, too, <laughs> because that's Whitney five minutes from now being able to change. But I want that flexibility to be able to change whatever decision I make. Whitney, this was such a pleasure. Where can we find you? You can find me at thewhitneywest.com and the Whitney West on all social media. Yes. And she is very active on Instagram, like she said. And I love your, your IGTVs. And I think you do a couple of lives. I think I've caught a couple of your yes. lives too. Yes, I do lives Super as well. informative. Very, yes, very motivating. So before we go, I have two questions for you. Yes. The one question is, if you can recommend any book at all to the reader, to the listeners, what would it be? It could be about anything at all. Ooh, that is a good question. I would say... To go off of one of the points that we were talking about early, just a few minutes ago, is vulnerability. And so I would say The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. Ooh, that is okay. a good book. <laughs> okay. I've watched her, I think it was a TED Talk, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, please stop coming for me. Please <laughs> oh, <stop."> yes. This, <laughs> this so will good. come for you. Okay. She really will. <laughs> and like, I just, the way she breaks things down about, expression and how we deal with other people, especially when it comes to shame and guilt, have been very helpful because even a lot of it are the things that I experienced and I dealt with through my journey, but I didn't have names for what I was dealing with until Mm -hmm. I really heard her speak about it and the experience. And so it kind of gave me, oh yeah, this is a thing. This is something that I overcame or this is something I'm working on and really understand it in that context better. So yeah, the power of vulnerability. Oh, okay. I will link that in the show notes as well, along with Whitney's website and your um, social social medias. And then the last question is, so what is something that brought you joy recently? Life is hard, but I want to end things with a good note that made you smile. (laughs) My niece brings me so much joy. She's two and a half and she's in Austin, Texas. And Although I wish I could go out there with her. Miss Rona is messing us up. But FaceTime, I want to thank Steve Jobs <laughs> for putting that on this <laughs> on this phone because we are on FaceTime all the time. And she gets so excited. It's like she wants to talk all the time now. And she'll hear my voice and run to the phone. And so my sister called me the other day and she heard my voice. And she just yelled. She said, give me TT. I have to. And so she just really wants to talk. And she gets on there and she's just running her mouth and having all these conversations. And today my sister had, me and my other sister were on FaceTime virtually babysitting her while she was in a meeting and her (laughs) husband was in a meeting. And Reagan broke into the room with my sister anyway. And they were just asking her questions. They were like, what's your name? And she said, Dr. Reagan. I said, girl, you better claim it. I love it. You better claim it. I love it. You better. (laughs) So (laughs) she brings me a lot of joy. And it's always funny to hear what she says out of her little two and a half year old mouth. I love it. Your kids really, around that age especially, like they're just truly gifts of God. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate this conversation. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't thank you enough. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.